Hello, I'm Amber Athey, Washington editor of The Spectator, and I'm here to tell you about our fantastic new election offer. Go to spectator.us slash election offer and subscribe to get three months free access to The Spectator US website and our new app available on the Apple and Google Play stores. Make sure you're getting the very best coverage and commentary in the run-up to November 3rd. Find out more at spectator.us slash election offer. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. I'm joined today by Tim Stanley, who is a historian and leader writer for the Daily Telegraph. And we're going to be asking if Donald Trump has already lost this election. Now, Tim, those sort of questions are hostages to fortune, I realise. But the polls are looking pretty bad for Trump. I think there are good arguments as to why the polls are off. However, there's also this sort of strange reluctance to say that Trump is losing among the people you might expect normally to say that. Why, why do you think that is? I spoke to a US journalist a few days ago who said that they weren't really doing analysis of polls across the Atlantic. And the reason for that was because they got bitten last time. They're reluctant to say Donald Trump is going to lose because Donald Trump has a record of looking like he's going to lose and then suddenly winning. So it's partly that the ghost of 2016 hangs over all sophology, that we're all expecting a last minute surprise. There's also an element of liberals dominate the media. Liberals are suspicious of conservatives. Liberals are suspicious of their neighbors. And they fear that a lot of people who tell them that they're voting for Joe Biden are actually secretly going to go and vote for Donald Trump. So I think it, it speaks not only to Donald Trump's mystique, but it also speaks to the divisions within America, that America can't quite bring itself to believe that it's probably going to vote him out. But actually, if you look at the headline general election head-to-head polls, we're now looking at a lead for Joe Biden of double digits. And the thing to remember from last time is that those polls weren't wrong necessarily. Hillary Clinton did win the popular vote, and most polls quite accurately predicted the degree to which she would win it. What they got wrong was the Electoral College, and that's because they either weren't polling certain states or they weren't polling them very well. And that's changed since last time. And in those states, it looks as though Biden has a pretty healthy lead. Donald Trump can still do this. There is still a shy Trump voter issue out there. But overall, I'm surprised that even with all the division, all of the mystique of Trump, I'm surprised people aren't more confidently saying we're heading towards a, a pretty safe Biden win. Well, I, I never underestimate the ability of pollsters to mess things up. And I think they've put a lot of effort into doing more sophisticated models, m- weighting things more towards non-college educated voters in swing states, etc., etc. And I often think while those more sophisticated models might seem to pollsters to be more accurate, perhaps in some way that we'll understand in years to come, they might actually be making them more wrong. Right. Okay. And that could be true. But one big piece of evidence weighing against Trump, I think, is the midterms. And again, I'm surprised that people don't bring this up more often. In a sense, the referendum on Trump has already happened. 2018 midterms were in the middle of Trump's boom. 
he was doing pretty well when it comes to administration policy. He also had a certain amount of conservative support because of the fight over the Supreme Court that was going on at that time. The Republicans lost control of the House, and it, it was a classic midterm revolt landslide against the Republicans. Mm. They, now, the thing with Trump is he's, he's quite a lucky politician, and the Republicans held the Senate. But that's because at that time they were defending easy seats or it was Democrats coming up for re-election. In other words, the important vote was the House vote. And historically, the Republicans did very badly. Again, if you look at job approval ratings throughout his presidency, with a couple of exceptions, notably like the first 24 hours of him becoming president, Donald Trump has been rating pretty poorly, definitely around 45% throughout much higher disapproval rating. He's never been that popular. His first win was a lightning strike. For him to win again is a case of lightning striking twice. It can happen. If it does happen, I will say Donald Trump is a genius, possibly the greatest American politician of the 21st century. He could well be, but a lot of stuff really stands against that and makes me very doubtful that he can do it again. Do you think we'd be saying this if it wasn't for the pandemic? I mean, it's sort of almost received wisdom now that Trump had sort of turned things around. The economy was so strong going into the pandemic that he was favourite. I mean, certainly the betting market suggested he was favourite in around January before things got really bad with the health crisis. Yeah, the, the betting market certainly favoured him. But in generic races of Trump against a Democrat, actually, the Democrats were doing okay. It, it depended partly on who was matched up against him. I would say that Trump looked a lot stronger a year ago. What he did not look like was a president who was sitting on an economic boom and peace overseas. By the way, everything I'm saying is not necessarily a criticism of the Trump administration, of which I, I think there's a lot more good to be said than bad. Mm. Um, and I'm one of the more sympathetic commentators towards it. But it's striking that even a year ago, when Trump really should have been, he should have been sitting on a double digit lead with all the economic and social and, and foreign policy factors behind him. It's striking that he wasn't then. The pandemic has, has definitely changed the dynamic of the election, but in some ways it's actually confirmed it in so much as it's pointed out Trump's great weaknesses, one of the biggest of which is he has never got control of the Washington bureaucracy. He has not stepped up to the job. He's not filled the office of the presidency. He's remained an anti-government campaigner even while being in government. And during a pandemic, that's the last thing many Americans wanted. Well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about assuming he, he does lose in November, what is Trumpism without Trump? What happens to the Republican Party after Trump? We had a bit of a taste of it, perhaps, on Wednesday night when we saw Vice President Mike Pence, I thought, give rather a good performance in the debate. What do you see the future of the right in America as? The debate was a throwback to the politics, national politics before Trump came along, in that it was boring no one answered the question. <laughs> but it, it was certainly far more professional. And crucially, it was civil. And what Pence reminded us is that there is a conservatism which is civil. Trump has to a certain extent poisoned the reputation of conservatism. I mean, prior to Trump, I always thought Republicans are the ones who just didn't land punches because they were just too gentle and nice. And, and Pence is a throwback to that. It's, it's an interesting question what does Pence mean for the future of Trumpism? Well, Pence is really an orthodox Republican. So if Pence were to inherit the Trump mantle in four years' time, I think we'd see 
a return to a far more boilerplate kind of republicanism. He's in with the evangelicals. He's a hawk on foreign policy. He's pro-free trade. So a lot of what made Trump unique and also made Trump competitive in the Rust Belt and among working class Democrat voters, that suddenly goes. I mean, we should always remember that the Republicans were not doing well at a presidential level before Trump came along. There's a, there's a never Trump narrative, which I'm sure will develop, that says that Trump has ruined the Republican brand. And it's, it's rubbish. They were in trouble as it was. It's true they had the Congress. That's true. But that was an anti-Obama vote. And it was also the fumes of the war on terror. Republicans had a good position in the Congress because of the war on terror. But really, the Republican Party was, was not doing well at a national level. And Trump brought in a lot of new voters. I suspect Mike Pence might lose some of those people. On the other hand, Pence's performance in the debate showed us that you can do conservatism without being nasty. And I do suspect that one of the reasons why Trump is doing so badly in these polls is because he strikes many American voters as just unpleasant, especially yeah. compared to Joe Biden, who for all his many faults is clearly a very nice man. I mean, if Pence does become the Republican frontrunner and does want to return the party to the sort of free trade orthodoxies of the pre-Trump era... I don't know how successfully he'll be able to do that because the Trump coalition now is what the Republican Party has and they have to appeal to that working class, blue collar, rust belt vote. Yeah, absolutely. The Republicans will have a huge, devastating debate that will probably put them out of action for about eight years between should they be a populist Trumpite party or the, should they go back to the Bush era star republicanism. There's a lot of institutional weight behind the latter. I think Trump probably has the support of the grassroots and probably reflects the views of the average Republican, but he does not reflect the views still of the cohort of Republicans who are in charge. So I, that, that debate's going to be very long and unpleasant, and Trump himself will make it unpleasant. Don't forget that constitutionally, he could run again in 2024. I don't think he will, but I, I bet you he'll spend the next four years after this saying, I might run again. Who knows? I'm told I can. <laughs> I'm sure he will do that. And whoever wants to be the next Republican nominee will have to do it with the blessing of Donald Trump. So I suspect the party will remain Trumpite for some time, but it's going to have a big intellectual war over the direction that the party should take. And that is going to really hurt it. Well, actually, on that, I wonder what you think of Trump's individual COVID response, as it were. He's been saying, you know, don't be afraid of it. Don't let COVID dominate your life. And I wonder if, although perhaps disastrous in the short run, as a or certainly very, very wild as a way to respond to having had COVID himself. I wonder if in a couple of years' time, if the economic destruction is as bad as some people fear, whether Trump's sort of, we've got to get on with it, don't let it dominate your life, will seem to be almost prophetic. I think you could be right. And for a lot of voters, actually, that, that will have touched a chord. That's the view that some people take, particularly in my experience, religious voters tend to take that view as well, that life is for living, not for just trying to avoid death. Mm. And some might actually oddly appreciate Trump's personal take on it. The problem is, is he's doing that at the wrong moment in a pandemic. Yeah. And the polls consistently show that most people want some form of restriction. They want some sort of lockdown. They're frightened of the disease and they want a government that looks like it's on top of it. There's an interesting long-term question about the political impact of COVID. Will it destroy every regime that was in power when COVID happens? It might prove to be the case, and it could be that in a few weeks' time, tr Trump is the first prominent casualty of the pandemic. But there are other regimes across the world that have handled it 
the conservative ones that have handled it in a very different way and have politically benefited. Australia's done it very differently. I don't personally like what Australia's done, but it's benefiting from that. New Zealand's done it differently. It's really Britain and America that stand out for this halfway house approach. And I don't think it's going down well with voters because right now voters are scared. Let's talk about what happens again, assuming Trump loses his election, a Biden administration comes in. And we've talked about how the right might change, but doesn't how the right might change depend on what a Biden administration does? If it reverts to pre-Obama settings, then you'd think the right would sensibly keep going in a Trumpist direction. This is one of the reasons why I think the consensus around Trump could still win is actually doing us some harm, because it's stopping us from analysing what the Democrats would do if they won. I'm, I'm seeing a paucity of analysis of that, especially in Britain. I don't think people are really looking closely at Biden and Harris's plan and what the Democrats would be like in office because they're still too obsessed with can Donald pull this one off. Literally 24 hours after Biden wins, if he wins, suddenly it's going to be all about Biden and what is his plan. And the answer is that I think Biden might be a fairly standard New Deal Democrat. I think we could be seeing a return to a sort of LBJ, FDR style of Democratic Party here. His spending plans are enormous. They're all infrastructure focused. They're all about the environment, but perhaps that's a revolution that America needs to have. So you're going to see on the economic front, a lot of populist big spending and bailing people out of the coronavirus. On the social front, that's going to be a lot trickier because there could well be a huge fight coming up about Roe v. Wade. And there's still a lot of other issues like immigration. The Biden administration is going to be very pro-immigration, although it's going to try to create more regularized forms rather than being pro-illegal immigration. No one is actually pro-illegal immigration, but he will hand out a lot more uh, visas and green cards to people, basically. So we're going to see a very old-fashioned kind of New Deal Democrat, and that'll give the Republicans ammunition to fight against. But I have, a, I have a feeling that actually Bidenomics could be quite popular in the short term because people will be looking for government stimulus and for the sense of a rejuvenated, coherent federal machine. Well, but then there's also this the, the lady in waiting, as it were, uh, Kamala Harris, and, and you hear lots of different things about how mentally well Biden is. But I think we can probably assume that by the time he's 80, he'll be 81, 82 by the next election cycle. She is very likely, I'd say, to emerge as, as a candidate to be the next president. She could even be the next president before Biden finishes his first term. And that presents you with a different type of politics, I'd say. She, she seems to be a, a rather different kettle of fish. That's true. I mean, one caveat is that Democrats institutionally are usually run by the finance people and by the State Department. And that, that's the strange thing about Republican administrations, particularly Trump, which has just been run by the Trump Corporation, yes. uh, tend to eschew those institutional biases. Whereas the Democrats, it's, it's astonishing how much policy is set by a tiny group of people on Wall Street and also how much they defer to State Department orthodoxy as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so in, in some senses, whoever's in charge, I can, I can pretty much second guess the things they're going to do. And the good news for Bidenomics, by the way, is that the Treasury type people probably right now fa favor a stimulus. So unlike Clinton, who was told when he came in, no, you've actually got to cut and raise taxes, Biden might be told something quite different. Harris is an interesting political personality. I think she's misunderstood. There's a bias against her because she's, quite frankly, African-American woman from California. And so people assume, people don't really understand the political lay of the land, assume that's going to make her really left wing. Actually, if you talk to any Bernie Sanders supporters, the first thing they'll say to you is, she's a cop. Yeah. They all think she's really right wing because she was state attorney and she arrested a lot of people. She's a tough lady. And, and I think she's a more moderate politician than people give her credit for. 
her big problem, and I, I'm, I'm trying not to be misogynist. This is not coming from a misogynistic place, but her big problem is her voice. Mm. Um, that during that debate, it was really quite whiny. And whenever you say that about a woman, people automatically think you are being misogynist. It's just some people do have, have a presentational problem. Men have really? presentational problems too. It was really cutting. And she needs to do a Thatcher and work on lowering that. Because if she could get that voice really low, I think she'd carry a lot more weight and authority. I think I completely agree with you. And I also think it's a problem that the reaction that people have to that criticism is also the problem. Because if you call people <laughs> sexist for not liking someone, they like them even less. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's like a classic example of that where she kept saying, I'm talking. Yes. And that, that was in some ways, we knew what she was doing. It was partly because she thought Pence might be like Trump and interrupt her a lot. And he did, but he's a lot more civil. So the I'm talking, it yeah. just, that actually became grating after a while. She used it once too often. And she was clearly trying to play a card that said, come on, ladies, this is what men always do. Well, Pence was interrupting her because it's a debate and he wants to win. Yes, and he, he wasn't doing it particularly aggressively either. No, he wasn't doing it very aggressively at all. Uh, he he was, showed plenty of chivalry. I would like her to dump that kind of stuff. I want Kamala Harris to be the Kamala Harris she was in California, which mm. was a ruthless machine politician who would lock anyone up who dropped some gum on the sidewalk. Um, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd vote for that and drop all this liberal stuff because I don't feel that's the real Kamala. So you want 90s Biden and sort of naughty <laughs> yes. Harris. Yeah. I want the Clintons back. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, I think we better end it there, but it's great pleasure and honour to have you on the podcast. I hope you'll come on again. 